Welcome everybody to another episode of the Black Ministers Podcast. I am Nate and this is my other host. Rachel Weaver, we are so excited to be back with you guys today for another episode on the podcast. Yes, indeed. And we have a true champion of intersectionality and just all around badassery and ministry, as they say. Uh, we'd love to introduce you all to Mr. Taryn Triniman. Hey, nice to meet you, everyone. <laughs> Right. Thank you so much for being on the show with us, Taryn. Um, just to get started, do you just kind of want to introduce yourself and just briefly talk about all the different ways that uh, your identity intersects? Uh, yeah. So my name is Taryn Triniman. I'm originally from Highland, Utah. I lived there for half my life. Um, my parents are both white. They adopted me when I was a baby. I'm the oldest of nine kids. Um, seven of us are adopted. Um, three of us are African American. Two of us, two of us are Taiwanese. Um, two of us are Haitian, and then the other two are surprise biological kids that came up in the middle. Um, the Lord was just like, you know what you want? My mom, you need just two surprise babies. <laughs> um, and so, growing up, it was always. A madhouse in our house um, and everybody thought my parents are crazy but they ended up making it work uh, and a little bit more about me is I am very plainly to a lot of people I'm very black I'm very african-american um, I also am a member of the LGBTQ community um, I now fully identify as queer both in terms of sexuality as well as in my gender um, and how I experience gender in my day-to-day -day life, um, uh, which basically just means I'm not straight. <laughs> a lot of people are like, I was confused, like, what does that mean? And it's like, I don't like girls, but it doesn't mean I just like men. It's really confusing. It's really confusing for me as well. So if you're confused, I'm confused, we're all confused. Um, and then on top of all that, I thought for a long time I was um, had Asperger's syndrome and it was only during quarantine and everything and I was on TikTok and able to actually connect with a lot of other black autistics and I'm like oh I'm actually autistic oh. at the same time my therapist was, was like actually you're also have seems like you have ADHD I'm just like great exactly I was just like just Give it all to me. So, literally, just my whole life, I, all my life, I've just been intersectional. I just didn't have a way to explain it, but intersectionality was has just been my life, basically. So, that's why I use my social media to talk about more, so people have a better understanding about it. Because sometimes it can be confusing, but it's really not. Yeah. Thank Love you that. for that, Taryn. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I, this is why I wanted to have you on the podcast, because you have so many different intersectionalities that you, like, intersect, you know, and I've known you for a little bit, because we've known each other, what, since 2018, and um, yeah, I just always enjoy talking with you and, like, experiencing, you know, your experiences through your eyes and things like that, so uh, super glad to have you here. So normally, you know, we just kind of jump into as answering a couple questions from people who email in. And then uh, we'll get to kind of talking a little bit more about your life. Okay. Okay. So this person, they asked, in Salt Lake slash Utah or similarly segregated cities, how does a white person meet a black person? I don't want to come off as trying to be a white savior. 
Uh, I have tried to get involved with the Utah Black Chamber of Commerce and similar organizations. I'd ask my, I'd ask a friend to invite me, but honestly, I'm just so insulted. In, okay. Insulted? Okay, I think they're trying to say, I was just so insulted and only in the last few years have I, oh, I'm just so insulated, I'm so sorry, and only in the last few years have I realized it. Guys, reading is fundamental. Thanks for all you do. Uh, yeah. So I guess they're asking how do they go about meeting black people? I, I in Utah. guess. Uh, <laughs> um, I, because I would be like, I guess they'd follow the example of my but well, not the example. I was gonna say follow the example of my parents, um, which is like before they adopted any of us, they just tried when they were in college to get to know other people that weren't like them. So like if they noticed their friend group wasn't really diverse, they just kind of reached out. But it also like you're wanting to be like not weird about it. I guess it's just like it's just. I don't know how to explain this because like I never like consciously like in my head I'm going about like how can I meet this minority I don't have in my friend group I'm just always just like you just gravitate to who is friendly and who is around you so I don't know because it also just like kind of questioning your intentions because like if you're why are you purposely wanting to this specific minority group is it to get free and emotional labor out of them to learn and learn and better yourself. Um, so you're bettering yourself, but then you're draining this person. Is it because you like noticed your friend group wasn't diverse, but then you like kind of fulfill like a quota? Like, I don't know. It's just like what examine first your intentions and then just try to put yourself in environments where like friendships can develop organically and you will have a chance to meet a more diverse group of people, like especially like a Genesis meeting that's full of black people, full of black members. That's where you can organically meet and get friendships. That's where my parents met a lot of their friends. I'll that's where they met Tamu. And they, yeah. That's so, yeah, right there. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's, I, to be honest, I didn't even think of Genesis, so I'm glad you bring that up. Um, did I cut you off? I didn't want to interrupt you. No, you did. You, that was perfect right there. Okay, perfect. Rachel, what you got? Um, I agree with everything that Taryn has said, just meeting people organically. And I know it's hard in Utah, right? That's kind of what the question is pointing out, that mm-hmm. number-wise, it's hard to meet black people organically. Um, and so you do kind of have to put yourself in spaces, like a Genesis, which for those who don't know, um, the church created the Genesis group, which is um, a fireside that happens once a month. Uh, and it's specifically for black members, African-American members of the church, um, kind of centered around the way black churches outside of um, the LDS space. Uh, and anyone is welcome to come, uh, but it's really a space where black people are able to meet and gather who are LDS. Um, and they have their own presidency. They have a young women's group, primary, everything. So it's a great space, but... I think like Taryn was saying, really understanding your place when you're in those spaces, because for me, I've been in spaces where, you know, white people who I don't know what their intentions were coming to meet black people were like at the BSU or something like that. And if your intentions are just to learn and to be friends with people genuinely, we can tell that. Um, And I think that that's really important because if you come off very much like I'm here to gain a black friend, not just I'm here to learn or I'm here to gain a friend in general it, it can come off 
just not good. And so I think really being aware, hyper aware of your intentions and how that's coming off to people is really, really important for um, when you are in those spaces with multiple black people. Agreed, (laughs) agreed. And yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, just like everybody else said, it is difficult to meet black people organically, especially if you are not a black person. I think that makes it a little bit more difficult. I think a lot of times the, the advice is just to like go and find those spaces and I think that that is important, but also those spaces can be um, difficult to to get into if you are not a person of color, um, just because people are very worried, especially nowadays in the the post Trump era, right? People are very worried of um, yeah. of, of white people and their intentions um, in, in getting to know them, you know, just because a lot of people have been burned, right? We, you know, we've we've been burned before, and so um, I think it's important to be genuine to show. Um, just that you are you that you don't have any agenda you don't have any um, specific mm-hmm. you know negative intentions or anything like that you're just there to just be a genuine person yeah. to treat someone like an individual I think that's another thing um, you know black people can always tell and other people of color but we can always tell when someone is genuine and when they aren't and a lot of it has to do mm-hmm. with just the way that they treat us right so if you come in and you're acting super awkward that's okay but if you're acting awkward and you are, you know, you're, you're treating like you're treating us like you're afraid of us or like yeah. you don't really know what to say or, oh, I don't know how to talk to these people. If you're kind of othering us in your head, even if it's just you kind of getting in your head, all we want as people of color is to be treated like you would treat anybody else. So the same way that you would walk up to someone that you don't know who is white and introduce yourself and say, hey, I'm so and so. What's your name? Where are you from? Just do the same thing for a person of color. And even if you feel intimidated, you just have to realize that that's another person. Nothing different is going to happen. Um, and if, you know, if, it, if it's uncomfortable, that's okay. Learn how to sit in that discomfort. I think a lot of times people don't know how to sit in that discomfort and they end up uh, yep. dipping out. So, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's the biggest thing. Just be genuine and treat people like, like people. Yeah, when you get in those spaces, I've been in many rooms with all black people and then there's like a handful of white people, you know, we are going to be looking at you and kind of your behaviors and the way you're approaching people. And like when Nate said, I think when you get that and you're in that space, like a black chamber, I've worked with a black chamber before. If you go to their events, like just genuinely try to get to know people and don't be weird. And when and people will know mm-hmm. you by what you do and the way you treat them, treat them and that will determine the way. Like how how open, right? Kind of what Nate was saying, and how much access people allow you to have into the black community, almost to learn, to continue to learn and grow. Mm-hmm. I kind of have a story mm-hmm. that kind of goes along with this, and this is kind of an extreme example. And to be honest, I have very mixed feelings about it because it was an odd interaction. But a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. we had a get together at my at my uh, at my house. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Rachel I'm was there. Um, this. But we were outside. You know, we were barbecuing. We had you know some food going, and we had like a little table set up, and there were chairs, and we were just hanging out. And then this guy comes over to us, a white guy, random white guy, never seen him before, never met him before in my life. Your neighbor, apparently. Yeah, he's a, he's a neighbor, right? <laughs> and um, at first, I thought he was like a nosy neighbor, like coming over to complain. Or say something yeah, like, "Oh, you guys are yeah, you guys are being too loud" or something like that. That's what I thought, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. just because like the way he came over. But then when he found out it was just like a little get together, um, he was super chill, and I was like, "Hey, man, grab yourself a plate." You know, key emphasis: grab a plate, right? Like, don't. So anyway, he went back to his his house. He got uh, a chair. I'm weak because there weren't any chairs left. He came back and sat down, and then. Um, 
you know, a, a few minutes later, you know, he was eating or whatever. A few minutes later, I announced to all my friends, all right, everybody, we're going to go upstairs and we're going to have cake because it was my birthday, right? And um, uh-huh. so everybody's like, oh, wonderful. So, you know, everybody starts putting up, putting up their stuff. And then we all head upstairs to go get cake. And this man just walks into my house. And I'm like, okay, uh, all right. For the, we've never seen it. Never seen it before. Just walked comfortably into my house. Couch too, no. Took off his shoes. Walks Taking upstairs, up sat down on my couch, <laughs> and proceeded to accept a slice of cake. And I'm just like, yo, I've never met this man. No. <laughs> and then the, the no. crazy thing, he was the last one to leave the house, too. Everybody was gone, and he was still trying to hang out there. And um, I thought it was bold. I thought it was interesting because I would never. <laughs> I would never just invite <laughs> I would never, myself into no. somebody else's house, right? But at the same time, I can appreciate it because he came in. And he was just talking to people, you know. And even though people were like, okay, who is this man? Because we all knew each other and he just showed up. And so everybody was like, Nate, who is this guy? Like they came in the kitchen, like, who is this man in your house? I was like, look, I don't know. I look, I know as much about him as you do. But uh, the fact that he was willing to come into this house full of black people, it was like 20 black people, and just be comfortable in doing that in somebody else's house. Um, and just having conversations with people, I was like, okay, I can appreciate that. That was genuine. It was weird. I would never do it. However, <laughs> <A little> too <laughs> comfortable. <laughs> right. You know. exactly. comfortable. Don't be that comfortable. Yeah. Respect boundaries. I was like, but... I, you know, I, I appreciate it. I'll give you a slice of cake. Please don't come back unless I invite you. Not, you know, <laughs> that's the end of that. But yeah, man, that was, that was an interesting experience. Oh I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Taryn, Rachel? I'll let Taryn do this. I'm good. Go ahead, Taryn. I mean, that's, that is so wild. I just, every day, sometimes I just, sometimes look at the, in the heavens and ask my heavenly parents, give me the confidence of an average white man, please. Oh, <laughs> honey, <laughs> just, just to like, that boldness of just like, yeah. not only bringing over a chair to sit down, right. to just come into your house, follow along, instead of, I would have just like, been like, oh, I'll take some food. Thank you. Nice chit chat. And then skedaddle as soon as I'm out of there. But, but yeah, just kind of, I guess that's how you organically meet. I just, I also, I keep thinking about Blackish and how, like, they tackled that on ABC because that was hilarious because they always were just like, white people, we can tell when you're being either super uncomfortable or when you're like that and they're like, you're way too comfortable with like, where you're not that yes. close. Right. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. so yeah that's like like don't start using slang after we just start meeting <laughs> no literally it's like, for real yeah i know that's not your you didn't speak like that before you met me right like, don't I'll, start doing exactly like, all of a sudden you got oh, you weren't just saying the m&m you're, right you're from start. you're from idaho but you have a southern accent all of right, a sudden i'm like, like um don't exactly <laughs> That actually happened too, but that's a story for another time. That just happened recently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so we're going to jump into the interview with our main man, Taryn. Um, we got a couple questions for you, Taryn. So I guess to start All off, right. obviously, you used to go to BYU. Um, so we want to know, like, what made you decide to come to BYU? And then once you were here, what led to your decision to leave BYU? Oh. Uh-huh. Uh, my family actually has a really complicated relationship with BYU. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandpa, my so my mom's side of the family, um, big thing with BYU. My grandpa used to work there, so my mom would go there all the time and visit when she was little. Um, he used to actually work um, at the bookstore 
Um, so she would visit there all the time. That's where my mom went to school briefly. Um, and then I think she transferred over to UV. Yeah, she transferred over to UVU, UVU to finish her degree. So yeah, she went to BYU briefly, but then she went back to UVU for, for a bit. Um, her dorms were BYU housing, and that's where my parents met. Um, and but then when they got me and then my two of my younger siblings who are African American, um, and they were really wanting us to stay with the community, um, they had some friends um, who were football black football players at BYU, um, and so they introduced me and stayed up there at BYU. They started actually helped with the Black Student Union in the nineties. I think they actually helped do the first um, perspectives. I think they started with perspectives. Yeah, really? helped with perspectives. Okay. So they nice. helped with perspectives. They helped. They had adoption fairs that there um, with for interracial families. So growing up when I was little, I had most of my experiences with BYU were around black people, around all these older black people who were really impressed. I could double dutch. So I had all these really good experience with BYU and then when I was in um, high school I did the whole SOAR program and I had amazing spiritual experiences there but also now at the same time I look back and be like were they re- well, I, they were really spiritual but also at the same time we we're like hmm hmm do I really want to go here mm-hmm. hmm but then a spiritual moment would happen to be like I'd be crying and be like I love you all yes I'm coming here <laughs> <laughs> A lot of emotion involved oh, in the decision, yeah. Exactly. Just a all, all, whole bunch of, like, 18-year-old boys all hugging each other. It's like, I love you, man. And I don't even know you from Adam, but, yeah. Anyway, so that that emotional decision led me to going to BYU. And I initially, I enjoyed it. And I was just like, this is nice. It was great to be in an environment where I was learning classes. But then also I could apply it with uh mormon lens to like how i could apply it to my career and everything um then uh i remember it was in my american heritage course where i first got the inkling like oh dear this might be an oh dear moment um where we were talking we did a whole week's worth on like the revolutionary war um the founding of the nation even talking about like relations between colonized the colonists and the natives and then the Civil War and the Reconstruction Era was over in, like, two class periods, including where, like, the teacher specifically, it was like, there's all these issues that led to the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And then racism, and then, like, slavery was a part of it. But there's all these other issues. I'm just like, hmm, no. That, yeah, that all those other issues are to slavery. It then also helped that the dude also wrote the book for the class. So... He had the materials and he had the resources, so he could have made it last more than two class periods. Right, right. But so yeah, it was all a little bit like, hmm. But then I like brushed it off and like, oh, it's just it's a one time thing. Um, and then just over time, it's just all these racist experiences, either from teachers or from classmates, that just are just like, hmm, I'm not feeling very safe here. Um, and then it was escalated when I left for my mission and came back. Um, so I left actually for two years from 2015 to 2017 for the Kingston, Jamaica mission. And I don't want to say like the Lord has a sense of humor, um, but they do 
know how to kind of hammer in some common sense uh-huh. sometimes because he dropped me in one of the blackest missions I've ever been into, areas I've ever been to, or religious cultures I've ever been to, mm. but also the most homophobic island in the Caribbean. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> um, where, where as soon as missionaries are get on the island, specifically the elders are told by the other elders, listen, yeah, people are going to think you're gay and they may threaten to kill you. So don't take it personally. Sheesh. <laughs> <laughs> my companions are, who are all straight are just like okay and I'm just sitting there closeted gay black man like oh man yeah, one time somebody asked me if me and my mission companion were partners and I was like are you what are you serious because it was like some skinny dude with red hair and I was like nope not my type but I literally the one of the scariest but then also funniest moments of my, life, of my mission was they were, we were talking to this dude's jack as heck and this one dude just zeroes in on me points at me and goes you're not straight and i'm like how does he have the spiritual (laughs) discernment oh my gosh no and then the next moment he follows it up with one and they're all his friends are just like how do you know he's not straight and just like because he just told us about his college and he didn't do drugs obviously he's straight not straight because he didn't doesn't do drugs i'm like Interesting, interesting. Naturally, no. That would actually make me straight in the gay community because I don't do drugs, but sure. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So, so like, with all of those experiences and things like that and then, like, the, your family's complicated relationship with BYU, I guess, what was the thing that, like, that took you away from BYU? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but you you went to an internship in Florida and you never came back, so, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yes. The year before I went on my mission, and then I just saw you on Facebook and nowhere else. I was like, uh, I was like, I'll yeah. catch y'all later. I'm in Florida so, living my dream. <laughs> I'm being free and not getting any dates, but I'm free. <laughs> um, you know, so I came back from my mission, um, and I had actually kind of came out to my b- mission president right before I left because I had, like, had a big mental breakdown because trump and everything in utah and i'm like oh god no um and he was just like make sure you get a therapist when you go home because it sounds like you're depressed i'm like thank you (laughs) i am (laughs) right they'll just tell you to pray and get married exactly well he also said to live a lot of chastity so i was like it was just like again but so i came home i got into a therapist he was okay from what I could afford, which was, it was free, technically free because my bishop paid for it. And so he was, he worked for an addiction clinic, but for like sex addiction, porn addiction, mm. so which the really thing like, is not like, uh, not, so not, really not at all what I actually what needed. Yeah. So like he did, and I get, did a lot of help with that. I'm like, oh my goodness, I, all this racism, homophobia and things, and I could accept myself. But also at the same time, it was very much like, I feel like I'm in the 12-step program again. This isn't good. Yeah. But it helps with everything and helped me with, I get to the point, at least when I got back to BYU, it was kind of like the rose-colored glasses got removed mm-hmm. and I was just like able to see, oh, this is a lot. This is a lot. My mental health actually was not that good before. Um, but then what was really kind of, and it just like, I started back in like, I don't want to say spring, like of January of 2018. And so just throughout that year, I just like 
there would be things teachers would say about like the LGBTQ students on campus protesting about the honor code or people writing op-eds about it in the paper and people then complaining about it in, in our young single adult ward um, and all these things on top of the racism were just like building everything. But then like what the straw that broke the camel's back is I took in winter of 2018, I took a Mormon uh, anthropology of Mormonism class and that teacher was is absolutely wild on the very first day asking us to call him master because he is a master Ooh. in his degree. And we're like, no. Oh, yeah. no. He's just really like, so my name is, I am professor, I am professor blank. But since I have a master's degree in this thing, I am also comfortable with you guys calling me master blank. That's and literally no. all the POC, yes, literally all the POC in the room, just without thought, synchronized, look at each other. And we're all like, hell no. Yo, hell that's crazy. no. That's one thing that people of color will do. We will look at each other. We will share a look <laughs> in the room. <laughs> and like, even that's a lot of um, white people were just like, no, I'm not uncomfortable with this. There was one person that did, though. And we're all, every time she said it, we're just like, it was white woman. No, it was a girl who's, yeah. And so, like, the girl who would always refer to the teacher who was a guy and he's super elderly as that, like, Master M, or like, mm -hmm. Oh, All our weird. ancestors are just like that's no, weird. yeah. He was, he was a trip. But anyway, he signed my group. We that sounds like during the year he gave us. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I really don't want to think about that with him. But <laughs> any, not at all, not at all. But anyway, we. I am, I am shook. I'm sorry. Continue. Oh, yeah, he was. That's why. That was the sign that that was going to be a wild, <laughs> wild class. It was. I can't show you that. But anyway, he, my group, when we had to do like a research project, he assigned us, um, my group, we got the Blacks and the Priesthood. And that exposed me and a lot of other Black kids who were in the group, a lot of things that we were not prepared for, um, especially with the Blood Atonement that wasn't at all covered in any of the religion courses. Um, so that already mentally affected my mental health that way. But then my final project was I did want to look at how spirituality um, works with um, LGBTQ rights. Um, and so I deep dived into LGBTQ history within the church for the first time ever. And it, the day I think, I think I was literally halfway through my report and I had read something about um, several BYU students um, who had committed suicide, like mm. shot themselves right outside the buildings, the steps of their state centers because Ooh. they did not want to live because of what they heard at BYU. And then immediately after, yes, immediately after learning that in the same building I was getting my English degree in, the basement was where conversion therapy had been happening under Oaks. Um, electric shock therapy, um, exposure therapy, um, where they forced them to, and these were all men, forced them to look at straight pornography and or gay pornography while getting shocked and then um, and making them on physically. BYU campus, in the on BYU campus? In the David O. McKay building. Or the... In, um, no, where, no, it's where the... Um, 
um, the, right across from the library where the oh yeah the the JKB the Jesse Knight building. No? Uh, I forgot. Um, right it's the big two story glass building. Oh, um, the Joseph F Smith building, the one that's named yep, after where a the yeah yeah okay yeah and that's where they did yep, so in the therapy. That's crazy. In the very basement, um, while wow. Oaks was present, even though he has gone on the record to say that he didn't happen under him, that well, was false. He's it's, gone on the record to say a lot of things. Exactly, and it's the record can show that it happened when he was there. It's recorded. Man, I don't um, know. So, taking classes in that basement. Exactly. There was just so much violence, literal violence, literal blood spilled on my campus by queer folk I had not known. Man. So. So that was like among, just, that's among the things that like led you to leave BYU. It's just like learning about that. It was that was the straw that caught. That broke the camel's back because I literally called. I literally, after reading that book, I fled from the library, had to get in my car and drive just for an hour straight, and then call my therapist because I'm just like, he was just like, Taryn, you're calling me in the middle of the night. Why? And I'm just like, if I don't call you and if I do not talk to somebody, I literally do not know what I'm going to do. And so, yeah, after I finished that class and I got that paperwork out, I'm just like, I prayed to God and be like, I need a way out. And then that's when a friend came up with like, hey, do you know the Disney College program is auditioning again? I'm like, where? And they're like, in Florida or or California? I'm like, California's too close to Mormons. (laughs) Florida's far. (laughs) I've never been to Walt Disney World. And so I applied, and I had applied. The thing is, I had applied twice before, and I never got in. And suddenly, this time, they're like, "Hey, you got in!" I'm like, "God sending me a sign. He doesn't want me here. He wants me to be gay, gay in Disney." Mm, I love it. I love it. And so I left May of 2018 and didn't look back, which was an awkward conversation with my uh, advisor from the multicultural students' offices because it was like. So you're going for an internship, like yeah, mm-hmm. and you're coming back, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah, because I remember everybody expected you to be back, and they were just like, "Where's Taryn? He he's not he's gone." And then just he posed the Taryn's is at Disney World, just on the roller coaster. <laughs> you're like, oh, it's it's April, it's 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 October, and Taryn is still in Florida. <laughs> oh man, okay. Yeah, and then everything in twenty. Oh, it was 2020. 2020 was the honor code and everything. Mm, that was mm. just like my big sign to be like, well, first of all, it was everything in February with Black History Month and that, and Deborah and Deborah and everything. Yeah. That was not you pulling out the Jamaican pronunciation. Right. Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> it just like came out. I was like, wait, nope. That was funny. Yeah. Okay. So for those yeah. who may not know um, what Taryn is talking about with the honor code in 2020, there's been a few different incidents, but the one he's specifically referring to is when uh, BYU administrators erased the clause in the honor code that forbids uh, queer students to date. Um, they they erased that clause from the honor code and then republished it. And so queer students thought that it was finally safe for them to come out. They thought it was finally safe to date. And then um, within a couple of days of them erasing that clause, they uh, made a statement. Or they put out a statement saying that the clause was still part of the honor code they just took it out so basically they were just kind of erasing evidence um it's still not technically quote-unquote legal for queer students to date on campus um 
Right. They made it extremely clear and uh, to the point where a lot of students felt very unsafe and ended up leaving BYU, queer students specifically, um, mm-hmm. because they had yeah. come out during that time. So it almost felt like a trap for a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. they felt like they, yeah. they were sick. And then BYU took their time. I don't know. It felt like they took their time. Like they could have said it sooner if that's how they felt. Right. Yeah, the fester and students to feel comfortable and to be open mm-hmm. um, and students were allowed to believe that they could be in relationships openly and they could finally express themselves and then BYU to double down and say no actually this is against the honor code um, very problematic yeah yeah sure. it was actually two weeks a solid two weeks in between it was two okay so enough it was that much time because we counted because we were like wait because we were like, we were waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I was in Florida. Everybody was scattered. We're like, because everybody doesn't know that game Mormons, because there's not a lot of us, we're all on Twitter. We're all connected. We have our own little network. So when that happened, we're like, is BYU actually becoming progressive? We're waiting for the other shoe to drop a couple of days, seven days. Okay, they might be serious. That's when people are like, they are posting with their partners mm-hmm. in front of the school kissing yeah, that, yeah. so they are yeah, they're talking about yeah. campus mm-hmm. i love to see that they're revealing people that they have been dating in secret for three four years yeah and so and they're coming out publicly they are doing these things we are making national news mm-hmm. and then after two weeks of silence and mixed messages from the school saying like you know what yeah it's accepted that's when they drop the hammer nail on the hand they drop the hammer and be like, actually, no, it's going to just be the spirit of the law situation. Like it's not physically going to be there, but you're going to still spiritually, we're going to still spiritually hold you to that. Which means that for viewers who don't know, is that means that for us uh, to be students, it means that if, and this happens to queer students all the time, mm-hmm. if, if they were in their dorms and they were cuddling their partner and they were of the same sex, uh, same gender, then if their roommate saw them, their roommate would report that to the honor code office. And the next thing they know, they're being pulled uh, and their scholarships, their housing are being threatened. Um, they are, it's getting leaked to their bishops, which it absolutely should not have been done anyway. So their ecclesiastical and spiritual worthiness are now in being threatened as well, um, which means then it's also then their access to our most holiest of places are now under threat and during that time that means that there are now two people or if they're in a poly relationship three or more all these couples are now all their livelihoods are now at risk and so yeah so when so after that two weeks happened i was at work and i was just like um and i just was just felt so betrayed and so hurt and just like it was just like finally, I'm just like, no, I'm just absolutely done. And at that time, I had also been taking online classes for BYU. And because I was just like, still like, I could try to make it work. But I was just like, I was frustrated with a lot of the spirituality of some of the lessons because it was like, it was like the teacher was trying to go in one way, especially because I'm an English major in the humanities and I'm tackling like papers and books written by really, really racist European white men. And I'm having white women be like, no, actually it's no, that was a very clear blatantly racist metaphor, Karen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's just like, so it was just, so that decision, the whole debacle with the honor code was finally just like, I will never be safe there. Yeah. 
And I'm safe down here with Disney with people who actually celebrate me, who like me. There's a lot of gay dating, so much gay dating, too much gay dating sometimes in some places. You're like, oh, this is awkward, but still a lot better than BYU. And yeah. so I was just made the decision to, I, I transferred it. I, um, there, so there is actually a foundation that is run by a former BYU students and, and allies called the Out Foundation. Um, and they're basically, their whole role um, has been since at least about 2008, um, since they were, since also the only LGBTQ club on campus, um, well, not on campus, off campus, because BYU won't let them meet, um, which is USGA, um, Understanding Sexuality, Gender, and Allyship. They were, they're an offshoot of that club. And they're basically, their whole thing is they, run events to help bring awareness and ex um to what's going on at byu and also it's greater acceptance in the community um but also to basically create and do scholarships to help people trans lgbtq students transfer out of byu yeah. um especially to go to other more accepting universities mm -hmm. um and through the out foundation um i was able to get us get all my fees paid that I needed to be, all the transfer fees and everything that I needed so I could transfer from BYU to UVU. Um, we love this. We love and this. I never looked back. Um, and now, though, it's hilarious that now, though, in 2022, I probably basically just dropped out of UVU. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, it's like, it's either survive everything and DeSantis, Governor DeSantis, oh Trump's goodness, number right, one. <laughs> yeah, I'm in Florida. I am DeSantis. I mean, you guys got Mike Lee and everything there, but I got DeSantis, and I'm just so I. It's like either I survive that or I do well at UVU. <laughs> yeah. And you chose to survive. We love that. So exactly. We have one more question for you um, as we wrap up this episode today. So what advice would you give um, current BYU students who are either out and are part of the LGBTQ plus community or students who aren't out at BYU and, and who are part of that community? What what advice would you give them? Run to the hills. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, not, not run to the hills. <laughs> it's terrifying to have these people out in the Rocky Mountains like run. the Von Trapp family said, singers. Run as fast as you can. Like the hills no, are I mean, like, <laughs> No, I mean, well, honestly, like there is so much discourse in LGBTQ more technical. Like, can we like start up a commune in the Rocky Mountains? Just like build a, a place on on a hill, have a house, a light on a hill right near BYU, but make it as gay as hell. Just like a big commune, just bringing all the queer students in. Just like bring us your weak, your tired. Just come on. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody even said, like, we could call it the greatest spacious building. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yo, I support this idea. Yeah, me too. I, will, yeah, I, I love will, this. I'll run the shuttle. I'll shuttle people yeah, back and yeah. forth. <laughs> <laughs> or just like, or we could just make a houseboat. Currently, that's also like making it a houseboat in the middle of Utah Lake, but that's drying up, so we don't know anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's, um, that's plenty. I would. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> is if we can't do it, build it on a mountain and make Brigham Young roll in his grave. Period. <laughs> build it on. <laughs> it's going to be on the houseboat. <laughs> <laughs> make that old bigot roll in his grave. <laughs> but um, 
I think the biggest advice I can I could think is stay connected with the community um, in BYU through USGA. Um, there are so many resources there. Um, stay with them. Um, they'll also help you to network outside of BYU um, and that it does get, I wanted to say it gets better, but right now we're literally at a war with our civil rights. Um, so right. <laughs> I, it won't get legally better for you outside of BYU, but it gets better, better for you as a person mm -hmm. and being able to authentically be yourself without looking over your shoulder. Um, so if they're think, if you're thinking about transferring from BYU, do and if you have the means, consider to do so. But if you don't have the means to transfer from BYU, um, immerse yourself in the community, especially not just dating, but also in clubs and drag events. There's a whole underground drag scene in Bro Provo in Utah, in Utah County. That's hilarious. Um, just immerse yourself in your community because the community is truly an anchor and a lifeline. And that's what made me be able to stay as long as I did at BYU yep. was the community I found there. Um, and yeah, I really can't be super helpful with everything right now, but I mean, that's, you can be authentic. That's amazing advice. Yeah. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of people oh, who hear this who are going to love that. Sorry. Go and ahead. also stay off Bumble, stay off Bumble and don't <laughs> date around it <laughs> really close because that is how you find out what bishops are on the download. Yes, no, yes, yes. Oh, I no didn't because I was like, I'm not oh. going to I'm not going to date because it's especially harder as a black. If you're a person of color in LGBTQ like, and bro, it's really out. hard. But once you go out like, yes, the call is coming inside the house when it's talking about the family. <laughs> that is wild. <laughs> he said he got receipts. So for those who don't know, I don't. But so many of my friends do. Oh, so just for those for those of our listeners who don't know uh, what a bishop is in in the in the LDS Church, um, a bishop is an ecclesiastical leader, kind of similar to like a pastor or a reverend in another church or like a priest. They just kind of oversee the congregation. Um, but one of the requirements to be a bishop is that you have to be married. And so to, um, a to a woman, right, of course. And so uh, for, for there to be a bishop, you know, it, obviously it's not uncommon, but just the fact that, you know, that you're a married man who's also uh, secretly looking for men on, on dating apps is, you know, that's a little interesting. But uh, I, 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 love oh, I didn't team. even say men. Oh, well, that's OK. Oh. <laughs> you know, you know, Taryn has all the tea, apparently. Some of them are doll chasers. Oh, for those who don't know, dolls are transgender. OK, wow. Wow. Wow, wow, wow! So yeah, it's a whole it's a whole thing. Like every every member of the LGBTQ community, we can tell you, what? it I, is. I don't know what to there say. is. I, a, <laughs> if wow. you thought like the LDS swinger thing was a shock, it's just That's there's just a the whole thing going on that just makes the whole untapped the whole crusade about religious freedom and no all about against LGBTQ rights and everything. It makes it really hypocritical. That True. makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, it's some of the people who hate them. This goes for anything. Some of the people who hate themselves the most are the ones yeah. that go the go the hardest for the you know things that are contradictory, mm. right? You know, mm. um, black people who hate themselves go the hardest for for you know white conservative views. Yep. You got your Candace Owens and your Clarence Thomases, you know, 
And then I guess it's the same in, same in the LGBTQ community. <laughs> Probably some of the most homophobic bishops and, and church leaders are the ones that uh, would have the most to gain from progressive mm. progressive viewpoints. But, uh, mm. man, Taryn with the hot tea. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want names to be no, right? <laughs> oh, this I don't nice. have the receipts, but I'm just like my again. Come join LGBTQ Mormon TikTok. Find TikTok, find Twitter. We are who we have the receipts, and we're tired. We're queer. We're here. Yeah, we're exhausted. <laughs> the queer community and the LDS church and like the um, liberal community stay on Twitter and they stay ready, like so ready. I can't even keep up on Twitter with y'all. So like I try and I be getting lost in the sauce. <laughs> Seriously, they oh, don't play. I believe it. Twitter is a whole different. No, beast. Twitter they don't play. Like that is their stomping grounds. Man, but Taryn, thank you so much for the uh, the menace energy that you brought to the podcast today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was well needed, and yes. uh, our listeners are going to love this. Yes, they are. They're going to love it. So uh, be prepared for that. Um, but um, you know, before we go, please be sure to follow the Black mm-hmm. Menaces on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And uh, if you have any questions or you want to share your menace moments with us, just opportunities that you've had to be a menace or start difficult conversations in your mm-hmm. community, please be sure to email us at blackmenacespodcast at gmail.com. That is blackmenacespodcast at gmail.com. There's no the at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's all we got for you today. Yeah, That's it. Thank you so much, Taryn, for joining <laughs> us. And we appreciate it. It was great being with you guys. Uh, Thank and, you. Uh, to our wonderful listeners out there, <laughs> don't forget to always be a menace (laughs) thank you yeah outro music fading away